0: Chapter Thirty Four of Jan of the Windmill. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jan of the Windmill by Juliana Horatia Ewing. Chapter Thirty Four. A Choice of Vocations. Recreation Hour. The Bow-legged Boy. Drawing by Heart. Jato jan found favor with his new friends the master's sharp eyes noted that the prescribed ablutions seemed both pleasant and familiar to the new boy and the superintendent of the wood-chopping department expressed his opinion that jan's intelligence and dexterity were wasted among the faggots and that his vocation was to be a brushmaker at least if not a joiner of such trades as were open to him in the home Jan inclined to cabinet-making it must be amusing to dab little bunches of bristles so deftly into little holes with hot pitch as to produce a hearth-brush but as a life-work it does not satisfy ambition for boot-making he felt no fancy and the tailor's shop had a dash of corduroy and closeness in the atmosphere not grateful to nostrils so long refreshed by the breezes of the plains but when elder boy led him into the airy room of the cabinet-maker jan found a subject of interest the man was making a piece of furniture to order the boys had done the rough work and he was finishing it it was a combination of shelves and cupboard and was something like an old oak cabinet which stood in master shooter's parlor and which in jan's opinion was both handsomer and more convenient than this when the joiner amused by the keen gaze of jan's black eyes asked him good-naturedly how he liked it jan expressed his opinion to illustrate which he involuntarily took up the fat pencil lying on the bench and made a sketch of master shooter's cabinet upon a bit of wood news spread with mysterious swiftness in all communities large and small before dinner-time it was known throughout the home that the master joiner had applied for the new boy as a pupil and that he could draw with a black lead pencil and set his betters to rights the master had passed through several phases of feeling over jan during that morning his first impression had been dispelled by jan's orderly ways and the absence of any vagrant restlessness about him the joiner's report awoke a hope that he would become a star of the institution but as his acquirements came to the light and he proved not merely to have a good voice but to have been in a choir the master's generous hopes received a check and as the day passed on he became more and more convinced that it was a case to be restored to his friends when two o'clock came and the boys were all out for recreation jan had to endure some chaff on the subject of his accomplishments but the banter of london street boys was familiar to him and he took it in good part when they found him good-tempered he was soon popular and they asked his history with friendly curiosity and what sort of a mansion did you hang out in Then you was at home inquired a little lad whose rosy cheeks and dancing eyes would have qualified him to sit as a model for the hero of some little tale of rustic life and simplicity but who had graduated in the lowest lore of the street so much before he was properly able to walk that he was bandy-legged in consequence there must have been some blood in him that was domestic and not vagrant in its currents for he was as a rule one of the steadiest and best-behaved boys in the establishment only from time to time he burst out into street slang of the strongest description apparently as a relief to his feelings happily for the cause it had at heart the boy's home was guided by large-minded counsels and if the eyes of the master were as the eyes of argus they could also wink on occasion how with it said the bow-legged boy straddling before jan if it was buckingham palace as you resided in make a clean breast of it and he's your mind thee knows more of palaces than the likes of me Thee manners be so fine said jan and the repartee drew a roar of laughter in which the bandy-legged boy joined but i've lived in a windmill jan added and that be more than thee've done i fancy some of the boys had seen windmills and some had not and there was a strong tendency among the boys who had to give exaggerated not to say totally fictitious descriptions of those buildings to the boys who had not there was a quick prevailing impression however that jan's word could be trusted and he was appealed to take it off in a picture said the bandy-legged boy, boy we hear it as you took off a suite of furniture in the master's face take off the windmill if you lived in it there was a bit of chalk in jan's pocket and the courtyard was paved he knelt down and the boys gathered round him they were sharp enough to be sympathetic and when he begged them to be quiet they kept a breathless silence which was broken only by the distant roar of london outside and by the master's voice speaking in an adjoining passage i can hardly say so that i fear but i think you will find most of them look too hearty and comfortable for your purpose about yon the silence was breathless the bow-legged boy literally laid his hand upon his mouth and he had better have laid it over his eyes for they seemed in danger of falling out of their sockets jan covered his for a moment and then looked upwards back upon his sensitive memory rolled the past like a returning tide which sweeps everything before it much clearer than those roofs and chimney-stacks the windmill stood against the sky with arms outstretched as if to recall its truant sun if he had needed it to draw from it was there plain enough but how should he need to see it on whose heart every line of it was written he could have laid his hand in the dark upon the bricks that were weather-stained into fanciful landscapes upon its walls and planted his feet on the spot where the grass was most worn down about its base he drew with such power and rapidity that only some awe of the look upon his face could have kept silence and the little crowd whom he had forgotten and when the last scrap of chalk had crumbled and he dragged his blackened finger over the foreground till it bled, the voice which broke the silence was the voice of a stranger who stood with the master on the threshold of the courtyard. Never, perhaps, was more conveyed in one word than in that which he spoke, though its meaning was known to himself alone. Giotto. End of chapter thirty four.